The king has descended the throne in Tuscaloosa. What does it mean for Tennessee? Well, for starters, it means there's probably a little more truth in the statement of we want Bama. With Nick Saban retired, Kalen DeBoer has replaced him. Welcome into the Volunteer State. I'm Blake Topmeyer alongside the Knoxville News Sentinel's Adam Sparks. We're without John Adams this week. He's traveling down near the Mexico border. We hope he returns safely. Adam, the big news in college football, which is still reverberating, is the retirement of Nick Saban, a coach who tortured so many of his peers for so long and tortured several coaches at Tennessee. Of course, Tennessee has played Alabama annually as a crossover rival. We know divisions are going away next season. We don't know yet whether Tennessee-Alabama will remain on the annual docket or whether it will be played in a in a format of twice per every four years, but we know they're on the schedule for next year. And I sort of tend to think that Alabama is going to remain on the schedule uh, on an annual basis at some point when they get this schedule format officially figured out. So what does this mean for Tennessee? How big of a celebration ought to be going on in in Knoxville with Nick Saban retired? Yeah, Blake, I don't know how much you watch uh, like Feinbaum during the week, but I tuned in right after i guess when the when the portal really hit alabama pretty hard um as we're recording this caleb downs the the stud freshman uh freshman all-american db has been in the portal from alabama caden proctor the offensive tackles in the in the portal there's some others that are in the portal i, I was watching fine bomb right when that was happening and you could see the skies falling mentality that a lot of alabama fans took and it's you know i, I mean I understand like Tennessee fans find this comical. I think around the SEC fans find it comical because what's happening to Alabama now is what's been happening to every other college football program for the past, you know, two or three years is that they think they have really good players locked up. They're shocked when those players leave. And so Alabama is feeling that a little bit now with, with DeBoer taking over. I tend to think Alabama is still going to be really, really good program. I still think they're going to be a national title contender. I think they'll be a playoff contender. But with Nick Saban leaving, there's a little bit of, uh, you know, flattening the the competition, a uh, l- little bit of an equalizer in the coaching change. Because before, I think the notion was, you know, if Alabama is going after a player and they offer them an NIL deal, and then school B goes after the same player and offers more money, Alabama can play, could play the Saban card and say, you should take less money to come here. And a lot of times that would work. Um, it's perceived that it's an easier, your easier path to the NFL. You're more prepared for the NFL. You get the prestige of playing for Saban. You take that out of the equation and it flattens out the competition a little more. Now we'll see if that happens long-term, but I think just initially my re- my reaction to all the Alabama players jumping into the portal is that you don't have that that trump card that Alabama had for so long, which was Nick Saban picking up the phone and saying, "I'm Nick Saban and you're staying here." Now Kalen DeBoer calling doesn't have doesn't have the same ring to it, and I think uh, you know. He, him trying to get a guy, guy to stay at Alabama is no different than Lane Kiffin calling for an Ole Miss player or Josh Hopple for Tennessee and so on and so forth. So so I think that's at least initially the the, the takeaway. 
Yeah. So my thought on this, and I'm curious to, if you agree or, or have a different opinion, Adam, my thought is, I don't know that it's going, I don't know that Saban's retirement is going to increase the level of talent on Tennessee's roster. I mean, there, there's going to be a, a lot of people who are in recruiting battles with Alabama for players, and um, they, they probably all think they have a slightly better chance now with Saban out, but I don't think all those players who were previously signing with Alabama are now all of a sudden going to, to make a beeline uh, for Tennessee. And, and Caleb Downs, we don't know where he's going to transfer, but I don't think it's going to be Tennessee. So I don't know that it's going to um, you know, greatly improve Tennessee's roster, but I do think that it could bring Alabama back to the pack a little bit, as I think you were kind of hitting on there. And so does Tennessee get better without Saban? I mean, maybe ever so slightly. Maybe there's one or two recruiting battles that they'll win now where they wouldn't have won before. But I think more to the more more to Tennessee's benefit will be the fact that you know, year after year, Alabama signed a number one or number two ranked recruiting class with Saban. If if Alabama now is signing classes ranked seven, eight, nine range versus those top two recruiting classes, then that conceivably pulls Alabama back to the pack, which is good for a team like Tennessee that has played Alabama annually and may continue to, to play them annually in the future. Yeah, I agree. I don't think Tennessee necessarily gets better. Um, I think Alabama gets a little worse marginally, um, which is which is good for Tennessee. It's good for all of the SEC. Um, you know, I think it's it's interesting the timing that this happens uh, because it it ha- Nick Saban leaving so late into the calendar, really the start of the new calendar in in twenty twenty four, means there's a time crunch to keep a lot of these players. Um, you know, yeah, Tennessee is not going to benefit immediately from those guys, but, uh, in the future, I think if you're vying for the same players in recruiting, Tennessee will win a couple that they didn't win before. And here's, here's why I think that is, uh, the, you know, the idea for so long was that Alabama, when they would go after a recruit, let's say a five-star recruit, um, they could offer, again, less NIL money, but then pay on down the road. Alabama had the reputation, whether right or wrong, they had the reputation of paying players in NIL money once they were starters later in the career. You get paid on the back end more than the front end. Schools like Tennessee are trying to pay more on the front end to recruits. You're paying to get them on campus. Um, You know, I, I, I think with Saban out of the picture, I think recruits are probably going to look at the NIL money and judge them a little more equally now. In other words, Alabama will probably have to pay in ways that they didn't pay before. So it could keep Tennessee in a few recruiting battles that they weren't in uh, otherwise. And you can see hints of that right now with the, some of the guys that have left of, uh, left Alabama. You know, in the past, if you changed coaches and you didn't have the transfer portal uh, there, players would sit and wait and give it some time to see if the new coach could win them over. Now with the portal immediately open and NIL negotiations potentially going on, there's nothing for the new coach to sell them on. You know, if you're, if you're a player at Alabama, a young player, a talented player, you know, you could say, I came here to play for Nick Saban and a little less money than that other school is offering me. Well, if Nick Saban's not here, I want equal money that everybody else gets because the Nick Saban card, again, isn't being played. And so I think you could see that in the portal year to year. I think you could see Alabama players be more impatient 
And I think you could see recruits ask for more money to go to Alabama than they would have before. I think this this is really going to be, I think, more of a competition with NIL collectives as much as, it, as it's going to be with Tennessee coaches versus Alabama coaches recruiting the same players. A lot of it will come down to the NIL money. Yeah, I agree with that. You know, the, the the easy narrative with Alabama hiring DeBoer is that, well, he's a very accomplished coach, his career record across multiple levels. He started off in the NAIA before going to Division One, but his career record across nine seasons at multiple levels is 104 and 12. I mean, just astonishing stuff, right? But the knock on him, the 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 easy knock, the first one you hear is, well, he's never coached in the SEC. Can he recruit in these waters? But to your point, I think I more have bigger questions about like how's NI, how's Alabama's NIL collective prepared to go toe to toe. I mean, I think Kalen DeBoer can make up some of that relationship ground. He'll have a few guys on his staff that are familiar with recruiting in the SEC's waters. I, I think that is something that can be made up. I mean, Nick Saban never coached in the SEC before going to LSU. Urban Meyer, who is one of the greatest recruiters the SEC has seen in the last 30 years, he'd never coached in the SEC before going from Utah to Florida. So you can make up that relationship and recruiting ground. To me, it's as much about whether uh, you know he can inspire the donors, whether others in the administration in Alabama can inspire the donors to have Alabama going toe-to-toe in those NIL battles. Because to your point, if Alabama was getting a discount at all, in NIL before because of Saban, they now can no longer expect to get any discount. If we re- rewind the clock even five years ago, you know, I would list the reasons to play for Alabama as featuring like five factors in no particular order. I would say one, you play for Nick Saban. Two, and this goes hand in hand with that, you got a good path to the NFL because of partially Nick Saban. And then your other three factors are history, tradition, facilities. Well, Alabama still has the history, tradition, and facilities, but I think in the era of NIL, to your average athlete, those three factors maybe don't have as much pull as what they once did when they couldn't get paid. Now NIL climbs the chart of factors, and you remove Saban and that established path to the to the NFL out of the equation. And so I think when you factor all that in, you know, it, it does change the playing field a little bit. And if you have an awesome collective that can, I mean, for lack of a better phrase, buy recruits, gives you a chance that maybe you didn't have against Saban. Yeah, and I think that puts more of a burden on this season. Um, there's This is a fork in the road uh, season for DeBoer and Alabama, but I, I'll bring it back around to Tennessee in the same way. Um, some players are leaving Alabama and the playoff expands this year, which means, I mean, it, I think we can, we, we can agree that in the era of an expanded playoff, you have 12 team playoffs starting this season, this next season, your schools like Alabama and even Tennessee are going to be pass or fail. If you get into the playoff, good season. If you don't, it's a failure of a season. That's just the way it's going to be. So DeBoer has a little bit of an advantage in that he doesn't have to be one of the top four teams for this to be a successful year. Now, Alabama fans expect a national title, but he can be one of the top 11 Power 5 teams 
and get into the playoff. And that's a, that's a at least on the front end a success. So in that way, the doors open a little more to DeBoer. He can go ten and two in his first season and sort of get things rolling. Um, on the flip side of that, he can if he doesn't, he can lose it quicker than past coaches could. Um, because of all the factors that we're talking about. Um, if if they lose a lot of players to the portal, suddenly there's a stain on Alabama. There's the thought that things are regressing. If they don't recruit well in year one, suddenly the field catches up. If they don't get into the playoff in year one, there's not going to be, um, you know, there's not going to be a built-in excuse or anything. Again, a fork in the road, and that's where Tennessee is right now, where there's an opportunity with Nico at quarterback, with a lot of their linemen, coming back this year, you've got a small, small window to close the gap between you and Alabama while Alabama tries to figure out what it's going to do in this new era of NIL, how it's going to compensate for the loss of Nick Saban. There's a lot of things that could go wrong at Alabama in this small window, but if they can fix them and sort of weather the storm of this first year and get to the playoff, and if Tennessee doesn't, you've missed your opportunity. So um, so I, I, I think for DeBoer, there's a chance there um, but if he doesn't seize on it, Tennessee's got to be ready for it. Because if Alabama goes nine and three, doesn't recruit great, loses too many players in the portal, yet Tennessee doesn't make up the ground, it really makes no difference uh, to Tennessee because you're just giving Alabama another year to fix it. And DeBoer's a good coach. If you give him enough time, I think that that uh, you know Alabama's going to succeed there. Yeah, what's what's interesting is you look at Alabama's schedule for next season, and it's it's pretty stiff. I mean, the SEC didn't really you know hand them a bunch of softballs uh, in this first year of the expanded conference. They get Georgia at Bryant Denny. They have to go to Tennessee. They have to go to LSU. Uh, they have to go to Oklahoma, and then you got a Missouri team that returns uh, the bulk of its starting lineup on the schedule. Like it, it it's conceivable. That and, and then, of course, you always have the Iron Bowl, which, um, you know, is never a guarantee. So it, it's conceivable that, you know, DeBoer could go like eight and four in his first season. And it would be to Alabama fans that would be skies falling. And, and I don't think there would be a lot of fans saying, well, Nick Saban went seven and six in year one. So this is actually improvement on that. Like, no, who remembers 17 years ago? Right. Like they the, the fan base got spoiled and and came to expect a, a certain standard in the 16 years after uh, that first year from from Nick Saban, and so you know, I think anything less than than ten and two, or certainly anything less than nine and three, is going to not be palatable to Alabama fans. Um, you know, it's it's interesting, as you know, as well as anyone, Adam, growing up in this state, monitoring Tennessee from afar, and now covering it for the last few years. Tennessee fans are painted sort of with a broad brush of of being, you know, one of the more unrealistic or demanding fan bases, et cetera. There might be some truth in, in the Tennessee, the reputation that, that Tennessee fans, some of that may be well earned, but to a certain extent, like so many SEC fan bases are very demanding, have high expectations, can be, um, you know, riled up pretty easily if the success isn't there. But for a fan base like Alabama, we haven't seen that from them because they've been so stinking good for the last 16 years, while for more than a decade, Tennessee was was wandering through uh, mediocrity or sometimes downright bad seasons. And so now I think we're going to get a taste of uh, what's this Alabama fan base like? How, how do they react when a, a season doesn't go their way, when Nick Saban is not rattling off 10, 11, 12, 13 plus wins every year? 
how do you think Alabama would stomach say a seven and five, eight and four season? And and what do you set the bar of kind of realistic expectation for uh, for DeBoer and in, in, in year one? And and finally, how does this affect how you view that game next season at Neyland Stadium? Well, if it doesn't go well in year one for Alabama, um, I think the way Alabama looks at it and Tennessee fans look at it will probably be sort of similar. It will be, it'll be a sense that uh, you're getting back to like the Mike Shula days, the 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 years in between Gene Stallings in the early '90s and Nick Saban. There were some down years in there, and there were years where Tennessee was just much better than Alabama, and. You could get back to that if you don't have the right coach. Again, I, I think DeBoer, I think DeBoer is a talented coach. I think if you give DeBoer the right players through the portal and through recruiting, I think he's a coach that could win a national title at Alabama. But if his players are five percent less of what Nick Saban had, which is certainly, uh, which is certainly a possibility. You know, again, like you said before, maybe not the number one recruiting class, but maybe the number five recruiting class. If Alabama takes enough of a tick back in terms of the Jimmys and Joes, then that's a that's a different conversation. I mean, if everything else is pretty close to even, what's the difference between DeBoer and Hopple? That's that's two South Co- South Dakota born offensive minds. Uh, which, which, by the way, I don't know if you've seen it this week, but there's a there's a story out there that uh, I think maybe I read it maybe a year ago uh, when DeBoer was at was just coming into his own at Washington. That uh, DeBoer came down to Oklahoma many years ago to learn offense, uh, learn Josh Hopple's offense when he was there, mm-hmm. and because it was two South Dakota guys, um, and Josh Hopple opened his door to him. Maybe he regrets that now, but he showed him a lot of his offense, and you're going to see some similarities in their offenses. But that just sort of you know, emphasizes the point that these guys are kind of on a similar playing field. Uh, DeBoer had a great season at Washington. Um, two seasons ago, Josh Hopple went 11-2 uh, and two at Tennessee. Pretty similar team to what what uh, what Washington had with DeBoer. They both took quarterbacks that were sort of cast-offs and turned them into Heisman Trophy candidates. So there's not – if everything else is sort of even, there's not that much difference between DeBoer and Hopple. DeBoer and Kiffin, DeBoer and Sarkeesian, DeBoer and Brian Kelly. Um, and so that, uh, you know, that will scare Alabama fans if they get something similar to what those coaches got because Brian Kelly can go nine and three at LSU and get a little time. Josh Hopple can go 11 and two and then step back and go nine and four this year, and people still celebrate that. Hugh Freeze is going to have some time. Kiffin at Ole Miss can win 10 and that's celebrated. Uh, 10 is going to have to be the floor at Alabama, not the, not the ceiling. And so, uh, you know, Alabama fans will be impatient because they've gone through this before again, between stalling Gene Stallings and, uh, and Nick Saban. And they feel like if they get just a little bit off the road, they're going to go well into the ditch. Um, you could see that you could see that feeling happening And Tennessee. Fans are craving that opportunity. So, I mean, it puts a lot on this this season's game. Um, you know, it's at Neyland. Um, there's not going to be sort of that aura of Nick Saban coming in there. Uh, now, it's a long time between now and the third Saturday in October. If Alabama were to win at Georgia, that's their fourth game, 
they'll beat Vanderbilt. They'll beat South Carolina. So if, if Alabama's coming in at six and zero into Neyland, then that aura is back, and uh, Alabama would be Alabama would be the talk of college football if they were to beat Georgia. If they don't beat Georgia, or even more so, if they lose by double digits to Georgia, Alabama will seem very gettable, and the result of that Tennessee Alabama game could be looked at as having ramifications far beyond this season. It would be looked at as a sort of a referendum on on DeBoer and the future of the rivalry. If, uh, but that's only if Tennessee wins, and that's going to be tough because Alabama is still going to have probably a top-five roster in college football, regardless of what happens to them in the portal, and they're still going to have what I think is at least one of the top ten coaches in the country. Yeah, I totally agree with that, Adam, and, and people that have that read my columns know that I – I was all over Kalen DeBoer within hours of Saban retiring. This was the guy I thought made sense for Alabama to pursue in this moment. So I think this is a good hire, despite the realities of the challenges he's going to face. And 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 good point on Alabama's roster. Like, um, you know, sometimes in the moment we can react like, oh my gosh, what's happening in Alabama? At the end of the day, they lost a few really good players. And I think you're totally right that at the end of the day, they're still going to have you know, if you could use one hand, definitely if you could use two hands, um, they would be on, you know, one of the top 10 rosters of college football next year, maybe among the top five. You know, Jalen Milrow at this point says he's coming back. There's a lot of other talented players on that roster coming back as well. In a way, you know, I think this undeniably helps others in the SEC save and retiring. But I think for Hypel, it does in some ways increase the pressure of this year's game because they're getting them at home. You got a first year coach. You have, you know, some of the best players on the team that have, have left. It's still going to be a really good roster, but not as good as maybe it would have been. And so, yeah, I think it makes Alabama more gettable. It also maybe increases the pressure of the blowback. If, if you don't get them now, because the idea could be, if not now, then when the, the other factor that I think is not being considered about some of these defections with Alabama is, the portal reopened to players for Alabama to get in it because of the coaching change. But oh, by the way, the portal also reopened to players at Washington because Kalen DeBoer left. And so I'm not going to, I'm not saying he's going to take the whole roster with him. And a lot of Washington's players are headed to the NFL, right? But there were some talented leftovers there. And you wonder if he's not going to take four or five of those guys uh, with him and they're going to be wearing crimson and cream next year um, on Alabama's roster. So right now it's, it's a very skies falling moment, I think for the folks in Tuscaloosa, but give it a couple weeks and they might have a few Huskies on their roster and think, okay, this is, this has been studied a little bit. H- how do you see the pressure, I guess, facing, you know, Hypo this year, um, you know, given the situation of home game, first year coach and everything we've discussed. Yeah. You took the exact phrase I was going to use. If not now, when, um, Tennessee has the quarterback. Now, how good Nico's going to be? I don't know. He looked he looked pretty good in Citrus Bowl. Um, the there's a possibility that he's a generational top quarterback. Um, possibility. I'm not saying he's that, but you have a five star quarterback on paper. He should he's your best quarterback prospect since Peyton Manning. You have your quarterback. You're having almost your entire offensive line come back. You were good on the defensive line last year, and all those guys, or most of those guys are coming back. You have what may be the best defensive player in the conference in James Pierce coming back. So the pieces are there. Not all the pieces, but there's a good number of pieces there. And, oh, by the way, 
as you put these pieces together and you have your quarterback, the playoff expands to 12 teams, which meaning I think we can agree probably about four SEC teams are going to get in. I think you're going to have the champion plus three at larges. Um, so you don't have to be you don't have to be the top of the SEC. You don't even have to get to the SEC title game. You got to be top four. Now that door is open to Alabama, but that door is also open to Tennessee. But for Tennessee to get in in what's also going to be an expanded SEC, you've got to win the games against the teams that are going to be contending for those same spots, which means you got to beat Oklahoma, not not just because it helps your record and keeps the loss off of your record, but Oklahoma is going to be, you know, in contention, you would think, to get a playoff spot. You 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 need to beat Georgia. You don't have to, but you need to beat Georgia. And this especially means you have to beat Alabama at home because Alabama thinks it's going to get one of those four spots. So if you're not winning those head-to-head games, you're not going to get into the playoff. We like to say that 10-2 and two gets you in, but 10-2 and two has to involve beating those teams. And so that that puts even more – it puts more pressure on Josh Hopple. Yeah, because the, the door is open. If you can't beat a Nick Saban-less Alabama to get to the playoff, and if you can't do it with this quarterback – and you can't do it with these linemen coming back. It could be done, but when are you going to do it? Um, we're in the era now where you're not building programs, you're building teams because your roster has so much turnover every year, especially with the portal. Lane Kiffin is is doing a whole lot of that right now. It's You're restructuring your team each year. You're not restructuring your program over long term. So Tennessee could still do it, but Tennessee in a way has built up more long term for this coming season than other teams because of all the COVID seniors it has coming back. You've got your veteran quarterback. You've recruited your quarterback and sort of held him back and have him there. And Nick Saban leaves and the playoff expands. It's a lot of planets aligning to where this should be. This should be your opportunity of the year. And if you don't take advantage of it, you know, this whole storyline of, you know, Alabama falling off is going to flip to to Tennessee not taking advantage. It could easily go one way or another. It's not going to all – be pinned on what happens in that game in October, uh, but a lot of it will come down to that. Last thing I want to get your thoughts on, Adam, before we we go. I've gotten this question a lot doing radio hits in the last week. I'm sure it's come up to you as well, is the debate of who benefits most from Nick Saban's retirement. Now, we would agree that Alabama doesn't benefit and a lot of other teams uh, throughout the Southeast do benefit. But, you know, this is not the definitive list, but as I've tried to evaluate who benefits most from Saban's retirement, I've kind of come up with a top five here. Uh, and I'm curious to see if you think whether I'm off base on a couple of these teams, if I'm missing someone from the list or, or what. So I start the conversation with Georgia. Now, Georgia is already in a great place anyway in college football, right? I mean, I think set up for the future, Georgia's in the, in the top spot with Kirby smart. They won two out of the last three national championships. They were well positioned whether Saban comes back or not, but I think, okay, Kirby's won two national titles at Georgia. If Saban would have retired like seven years ago, I think Georgia could have four plus national titles. I mean, he beat them in the head to head in one national championship game. Saban did before Kirby flipped the script. Uh, and then, Saban and Alabama ended the three-peat quest in Atlanta this year in the SEC championship. So as good as Georgia's recruiting now, I think they could recruit even better without Saban in the picture. And then just on the field, 
I think it's advantage not having Saban. So I put Georgia one. I put Auburn as the number two beneficiary for kind of obvious reasons. The Iron Bowl rivalry. They're always living in Alabama's shadow, being in the same state. And, you know, oftentimes they're recruiting the same players. I put LSU and Brian Kelly, number three on the list, another rival uh, that these teams play every year. Again, we don't know the future of the SEC schedule, but I think there's a decent chance they will continue to play every year. Uh, One that maybe is my surprise spot here at number four on the list, I have Florida State. Mike Norvell, very good recruiter, uh, has that program trending up. When you look at Florida State's position in Tallahassee, they often end up in recruiting battles with a lot of the same for a lot of the same guys as Auburn, Alabama, Georgia, that North Florida Panhandle, Southern Alabama area. There's a lot of talent coming out of that. I think this that that this really helps Florida State. And then I would put Tennessee rounding out my top five as a beneficiary again as a rival, someone that plays Alabama on an annual basis. At least it has possibly will in the future. And again, could be in, in some of the same recruiting battles as what Alabama is. So those are my, those are my five programs that benefit the most. Any obvious omissions, uh, any, anything that you would drastically flip around? Yeah, I'm trying to digest these. Um, Georgia would have been my number one um, in a different way than the others. Uh, Alabama is the only team that we've seen that could stub Georgia's toe. So I agree with you in in that way. Um, I, I mean, my first my first thought was Auburn. Uh, for all the things that we've talked about, who has a better coach? Uh, when Nick Saban was there, who had the better coach, Alabama or Auburn? Well, Nick Saban's the answer. Alabama did. Who has the better coach between DeBoer and Hugh Freeze? Now, I'm not saying what the record was this past season, but who has the better coach on the field on Saturdays and in recruiting? I, I, I don't think that's as easy to answer. Um, and if Auburn has a coach that's even with Alabama, Auburn can close the gap in a lot of other ways. They are recruiting a lot of the same players. LSU has been stung by the Nick Saban goes down to Baton Rouge and steals the player kind of narrative. Maybe I would say more than people realize. There's been a lot of recruiting battles over the years where LSU felt good about some athlete that they had in their home state and, uh, and Nick Saban came down and got them. And so I think LSU, I, th- I think one thing we're going to have to retrain our brains for a little bit in this is initially my thoughts were SEC West division teams, like who has an easier path. But of course, the divisions are gone. So I, th- I think whatever we think, whoever we think is going to benefit the most, that may change a little bit as we retrain our minds as we go through a season or two. Uh, without divisions. Uh, it's going to be more of looking at schedules year to year now. Like I like I was thinking, well, Lane Kiffin benefits because Ole Miss now can uh, can beat Alabama. But then I look at the schedule and Ole Miss didn't play Alabama this year. So it doesn't matter. So it's really going to be year to year. And I guess that will also depend on whether or not we go to eight or nine, nine teams. Tennessee is going to benefit in a few recruiting battles. Um, they're not going to win a whole lot more, I don't think, but they may win a few. Um, you know, really, I, th- I think Tennessee probably is going to benefit maybe as much from the portal as they are in recruiting. Um, Alabama did not go grab that many players in the portal, but the best players in the portal were looking at Alabama. I think maybe Tennessee will have a chance at 
at uh, at a few of those maybe that Alabama got before. Yeah, so Tennessee I don't think is in the top. I think we can agree Tennessee's not in the top two or three uh, that benefits from Nick Saban. But Tennessee will benefit the absolute most in that one game in October. And so much of that, uh, so much of what Tennessee's identity is each season is whether or not they they win that game. And that's that's where th- that more than any recruiting battle or any time in the portal or any all-season meetings about NIL, above all those things, Tennessee will be most thankful that Nick Saban is not coaching when they're on the field head-to-head with Alabama in, in – uh, in October, if it stays in October. And I don't think that's necessarily the answer for every other school on that list. Yeah, it's going to be a little strange seeing the third Saturday in October without Nick Saban on the sidelines. Uh, strange may not be the word a lot of Tennessee fans would, would choose. They might say it's going to be a relief to play the third Saturday in October without Nick Saban on the sidelines. Uh, Adam and I will continue to be with you throughout the offseason, and we'll see if we can get John back from the border uh, for our, ep- our our next episode. Thanks for listening to this edition of the Volunteer State.